Welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabelle Graham. Today I'm in dialogue with Preeta Cooley, executive coach and founder of De Novo Performance. Preeta is a change maker, an innovator and a collaborator. She's really someone who throws herself in at the deep end of life. And she has many lessons and stories to share from varied career experiences. Firstly, as the only female board director in a multi-million PLC. Then as an entrepreneur who established and sold a successful business in an industry without prior experience. And also from her lived experience of her own life journey of change, from being a self-confessed workaholic to developing a more fulfilling life. Preeta provides coaching support to executives across a variety of industry sectors. Many need to build different capabilities or mindsets to step up to a new challenge or develop greater depth of self-awareness and insight to achieve better results through people. Her work facilitates the kind of sustainable change in mindset and behaviours that accelerate performance and help people thrive. So Preeta, welcome to The Being Leader. Thank you, Annabelle. Um, I feel very honoured to be here. Thank you. So in the last few episodes, I've been talking about varying aspects of being as leaders and starting the conversations to really get people to start to reflect and, and think about how much they're caught up in doing. You know, rushing from one thing to the next, being busy and not actually recognizing what's going on for them. In many ways, starting to get people to stop and reflect on why they're doing what they're doing and start to notice what's going on for them and really tap into how they are being rather than what they're doing. So I'd be really interested to hear from you. In your role as a coach, what challenges do you see leaders bringing to you about how they are working and what they're doing? That's a good question, Annabelle. Um, and really, you know, there's a million different answers um, that I could come up with. But thinking about our current situation, humans love predictability. We don't like uncertainty. So in times of pronounced uncertainty, stress levels tend to rise naturally. We've got this background fear of what's mm. going on, what, what might happen. And it's really natural. Our fear factor is elevated to protect us. If we could predict, um, you know, we felt safe. But this can present in many ways. But one thing I'm seeing very much in clients at the moment is they're experiencing greater tension and triggers in working relationships because that fear factor, that stress factor is slightly elevated, some more for others, it can play out in behaviours um, mm. which obviously then affect relationships. And the relationships that we have um, with people that we work with um, really make the difference between whether something happens or whether something doesn't happen. It's interesting that you say that because we were talking earlier about DISC. And, and I, I know I've certainly noticed it with a lot of clients I've been working with is how those different behaviors. So DISC obviously is a behavioral type, which gets us to think about how we work and operate. And those, I think those people who are really fast paced and task focused have been doing a lot of doing. They've sort of been getting stuck into the busy, mm -hmm. but those who are maybe a little bit more, a bit more analytical, those who like that certainty and surety actually have been paralyzed in some ways. So that fear response has kicked in by um, just being not sure what to do because literally the decisions that they're making are having to be thrown out each day. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with you totally. Um, I mean, at the moment, there's obviously um, definitely more to think about. Um, you know, there's more at stake. So interactions where major, major decisions are to be made can become highly charged. 
and sort of thinking about it in, in, in terms of the Hogan psychometric suite, we have what's called, um, can be called derailing behaviors, where people go when they're working under, under stress. Um, and there, there are three ways that humans tend to deal with anxiety. Uh, we either move towards people, um, which can become, if overdone, can be shown as being very meticulous and hard to please, we tend to micromanage, um, or also very dutiful. Um, so eager to please, um, reluctant to act independently. We can um, move away from people, which is where people literally become very aloof. They don't want to engage with others. They can be indifferent to the feelings of others. They might become very cynical. Um, and we can what's called move against people, which is to become quite dramatic and attention-seeking. Um, just think of a, of a, of a president. <laughs> so a little bit drama queenish, is it? <laughs> <laughs> can be, but we want to try and overwhelm people so that they shut down. So, and when you can imagine people of all different types of personality are working together to try and make something happen. If everyone's bringing their derailing behaviors into the equation, then trying to get something done in a rational, calm manner that's actually going to be really effective moving forward for a particular situation or where the organization is um, can be really difficult. So the more self-aware somebody is as to where they go, how they show up, what sort of behaviours can be displayed, um, then the more likely they are, are to actually be able to stop in the moment, to pause, to know, to, to realise that they're being triggered and to actually respond from a place of, of choice as, as opposed to just reacting um, based on an autopilot. So I have, you asked, you know, in answer to your question, what challenges do you see leaders bringing? It's wanting to delve deeper into why they're behaving in the way that they are um, and also to, to understand more about what's driving their behaviour and obviously what to do about it. Because mm. as often as there's a case of people aren't always aware, they are when you dial it into their awareness, but it doesn't, you know, if you said, you know, what, what gets you stressed, what winds you up, some of those more nuanced behavior types that have that impact, people just don't seem to re recognize. Is that your experience? Yeah. Oh yeah, very much, very much. We all tend to sort of act on autopilot and, mm. and can do uh, until awareness is raised. Um, and also I think the other issue is the fact that until people realize that, you know, we all have our own frame of reference or, or some people call it a map of the world as to, you know, how, how the world is, how other people are, what our expectations can be of other people. Um, and, and until people realize that actually everybody's is totally unique. And the idea is to be able to know your own, but appreciate and listen to other people's from a, from a place, um, from a place of balance. Um, then, you know, again, you can have enormous eruptions. So I think, you know, I was talking to somebody about 
um, who was a mental health um, first aid champion the other day. And, and in that area, they were talking about, you know, sometimes our safety factors go out the way. And, and it, I think in some ways it, go, it links in with the derailers. You know, obviously we're recording this coming out of lockdown for coronavirus pandemic. Lots of people's automatic routines, which they would have had in place, you know, if you were going to the office. So, you know, maybe going to the gym in the morning or walking at lunchtime, all of a sudden have gone out the window. And we forget that self-care, that, that routine that we have goes into having a really good day and actually calming those behaviours. And when that's been disrupted, it often can be one of the early signs that some of those derailers are beginning to show up more is the fact that those, those really productive habits and routines that we have have dropped off. Yeah, yeah, I, you, I agree with you, um, Annabelle. And I don't know if you've ever come across um, something called the Healthy Mind Platter. Um, yeah. it, it was devised by David Rock and uh, Daniel Siegel. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I came across it, I, I'll, I'll, I can quickly go through it if you like. Mm. The first time I came across it, I thought, well, how the hell would I ever get any work done if I was just spending my day doing these? But anyway. There's a way to incorporate it, though, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So the Healthy Mind Platter is basically seven daily essential mental activities to optimise brain matter and create well-being. And I think we all know the greater our level of well-being um, and the more we can optimise our our, our brain matter the more productive we are um, it's, some people tend to forget that but first of all there's um, there's focus time so when we closely focus on tasks in a goal orientated way we can take on challenges that make deep connection in the brain but to be able to get to focus time there are all the other elements as well but we need play time uh, when we allow ourselves to be spontaneous or creative safely enjoying novel experiences, we again help to make new connections in the brain. Um, Connecting time, when we connect with people, ideally in person, and when we take time to appreciate our connection to the natural world around us, we activate and reinforce the brain's relational circuitry. And I think people have come to realise how important that is during lockdown, with the Mm. amount of Zoom meetings that we've been having that have been social and sort of slightly work stroke social, that relationship, that connection. And also people going out for walks, um, spending time in nature and realizing how great it makes them feel. So physical time, we, we were talking about this earlier, the, you know, the necessity for exercise when we move our bodies aerobically, if possible, we, we strengthen our brain in many ways and it also releases what are called, you know, the feel-good hormones, the feel-good factors. So time in when we quietly reflect internally, focusing on sensations and images and feelings and thoughts, we help to better integrate the brain. So this is, you know, anyone that does mindfulness or spends some time doing reflective journaling, it's it's a time for, for, for looking inwards um, rather than continually looking outwards. Downtime, when we're non-focused, without any specific goal, we let our mind wander or simply relax. We help it to recharge. Um, I know, um, you know, sitting down and watching just something pretty naff, but entertaining on TV can, can, can have a similar effect. And sleep time. So when we give the brain the rest it needs, we consolidate the learning and recover from the experiences of the day. So, um, and like I say, the first time I saw that, I thought, oh my God. 
where would I ever get time to do anything? But, um, you know, I think with any intention, if we think these are important to me um, and gradually start to introduce them in a way that's, that's good for us, we set our own boundaries, it's amazing what you can achieve and then it's also amazing as to the results that, that, that you can achieve personally um, and also professionally. And I think it's, you know, you can also, I think people forget that you combine some of them. So, you know, so I'm a big, you know, walker and thinker. Uh, so, some people will have heard my, one of my lovely hounds being involved in the background in this conversation, you know, and, and there's nothing like in the middle of an afternoon when I'm trying to sit and get some ideas to that piece of work. Cause you're right. It's that downtime when our brain becomes creative and, you know, two dog leads will be put around the animals off. We'll go for a walk, but actually just that, that movement, that time to just go, I'm not going to think about anything. By the time I come back, I've invariably got the solution I was looking for. Yes. We tend to have those eureka moments. Yeah. Wasn't he the man in the bar? Um, the eureka moments come when we're not focusing on them. So the more we're actually trying to sort of focus and force our attention and our energy, the, the further away we are from actually finding the solution. Um, and only by being able to sort of create this environment for ourselves mm. within ourselves um, are we actually able to be incredibly productive. So, you know, the, the, we've spoken personally before mm. about the difference between doing and being. Mm. And, um, yeah, um, there's an awful lot more I could say, but I'm sure you've probably got a lot more questions you might mm. to ask. So I think if you, you know, you said that often people come seeking to find out, you know, why am I doing what am I doing to be more self-aware? So how do you go about working with, with leaders to get them to become more of aware of themselves and others and actually others in some ways more effectively because it's recognizing and tuning in how they need to be with other people and how they're being. What do you tend to do with them? Well, I think the first step to understand other people is first of all to understand yourself mm -hmm. because the more you can recognize and understand in yourself um, then the more you can recognize you're expanding your frame mm -hmm. of reference um, and then you can actually understand what's happening for other people as well. But it, 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 it's variable as to the way that I work with people but I tend to really work with clients to explore the underlying assumptions, beliefs, the values and attitudes that they have that shape their experience of themselves, mm -hmm. um, but also their world and other people. Um, and sometimes an awful lot of people are, are very surprised as to, gosh, do I really think like that? Do I really have that belief? Mm -hmm. um, and I do um, contract with clients to talk about experiences in their formative years because as we all know um, how the experiences that we had in our formative years shape us um, and develop into patterns of, of thinking, feeling, behaving and until those are explored. So it is an exploration as to how those were formed and are they are they healthy for where that person is today and how's it in fact affecting them mm. in the environment that, that they're in and the work that they're trying to achieve then that's when change can come um, because they understand um, and sometimes there's a necessity for an emotional release as well as to to something that might have been blocking them um, but but once somebody has awareness then they then they have choice and sometimes only in that dialogue in that conversation 
do we start to notice what those patterns are or have somebody else actually replaying them back to you sort of holding that mirror up going well do you recognize where this is coming from do we start to see maybe what's a shaped our thinking but also the impact that that's having on ourselves and others Mm, yeah definitely um I think we both love the question where did you learn to behave like that so um which can bring fascinating fascinating results so but um but yes most people are totally unaware because it, it, it happens and it's sort of locked away in our unconscious and there we are little program robots really going off into the world thinking well this is it this is reality but if you think every person on the planet has their own picture of reality in their mind wow um look at look at what's out there so absolutely and and also when we're working with with other people, you know, so whether it be in our personal relationships or our work relationships, we're making that judgment all the time on what people's behavior is like, but we're judging it with our map of the world, not theirs. Therefore, that's why we end up with the, the mismatch of assumptions and the conflict that comes up because you've got people coming at things with two totally different realities, thinking it's the same one. You know, <laughs> we all get lulled into this amazing um, unconscious idea that of course we're going to think about each other think about things the same way but you know two people can go through the same experiences we well know and hold two totally different views of what's happened because they've approached it from different places yeah exactly exactly and that's why we need to develop a tolerance um towards understanding from other people's perspectives so and realizing and appreciating that other other people's perspectives are just as important as ours and that our role especially as a leader is to be able to find out what those what what they are um and to bring everything into the mix to find the best solution so yeah and that can i think that can be a, a real interesting challenge sometimes i know when i'm working in organizations that that duality of being able to you know sit in that world of gray and recognize that lots of situations are quite paradoxical you know there are going to be two interpretations and being able to hold that part paradox and and be be okay with that mm. you know people like the black and white and and actually going that you know we've got two or three versions of this is really challenging and that it makes people feel, you know, you talked about safety at the beginning, that makes people feel psychologically unsafe because they can't grasp hold of it, they can't get a grip on it. No, we do, we do like to understand, don't we? And of course it can become even more complicated when you actually expand the system and start to think about all the other stakeholders um, that are involved in the play as well. And um, so of course, levels of uncertainty um, and this ambiguity has increased even further. Absolutely. And we forget, I think sometimes we get so caught up in this little microcosm, we forget that we're part of that bigger system. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that has an interplay in. And, and that bigger picture becomes so important. When you're working with people to get them to think about a little bit more about their map of the world and how they're coming across and how they're seeing things, why is this beneficial? What, what difference does it make for people? Well, it can make a big difference for people in so many different ways. Um, but sort of one thing that's sort of coming up for me is um, the fact that I love the word being as a way to express how we show up in the world in our character. And when does anybody really get the opportunity to sit there and ask those big questions of themselves and to really start thinking about, are these my beliefs? Are these my values? Is this how I want to be seen? Um, very rarely. I mean, we tend to just absorb 
what's given to us in, in our formative years, um, quite often they, they can be called interjections where we just swallow whole the edicts, beliefs and values and whole somebody else's map of the world. So giving, having this space, a leader having this space to explore this for themselves gives them a much deeper and richer understanding of themselves. And they then have choice as to, as to how they want to be. I mean, personally, I'm a, a big fan of Carl Rogers, who is the founder of the humanistic psychology movement, um, whose work was dedicated to sort of, you know, what's called a growth promoting culture, something or a growth promoting climate, which is, you know, he wanted this for humanity, for society. And this is very much what organizations are looking to achieve now because they're realizing the necessity of, of how important it is for people to be able to collaborate um, and work together. And, and, and the three conditions that were he cited as being important, and yes, it was originally developed for therapy, but can be can be thought of as a, as a way of being is this congruence which is all around authenticity and genuineness um, and we know that when we're with people that come across as incredibly genuine and very authentic automatically like them we trust them we want to work with them we want to spend time with them um, unconditional positive regard so that's valuing somebody regardless so you were talking earlier about psychological safety and so when people know that they can admit oh god you know I messed up I'm not very good at this you're better at this than I am you know if we all win then that's fantastic because that's what we're trying to achieve so you know but if people feel that if they add their own opinion they would be criticized if they don't go along with the group think so they're not receiving unconditional positive regard it's only you will receive positive regard if you behave in a way that we believe is necessary um, and the other thing is empathy um, empathy being able for us to be able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes um, and know what it might be like without getting lost in it um, and how often especially when we're annoyed with somebody you know we've had this massive argument they didn't want to do something the way that we want to do it how often can we really put ourselves in somebody else's shoes um, and it's quite interesting working with senior leaders asking them to put themselves in the in the shoes of the other person um, and saying how might they be feeling what might be their motivation and their driver and and the you know the incredible light bulb moments can come on as to hey maybe they're feeling a bit insecure maybe this maybe that they can start to look at options and don't just see this person as, as, as a barrier and it leads the way to being able to have really fruitful and productive communication the the other way of being actually come to think of it now I'm on a roll um especially so we can think of as being as somebody that actually takes time out to reflect um, and to think about what they're going to do before they do it as opposed to just rushing in in head first but we can also and um, we can also think about um, being as our way of being in the world and and I really um, apart from working with with senior leaders I really enjoy um, working on women's leadership development programs and um, it's 
it quite often they're saying, I don't know how I want to be as a leader. What, what, you know, what am I going to be like? This is, this is just really, uh, you know, it's an unknown for me. And um, one thing that, that I love to do is to take, um, well, when possible, um, uh, people to the Tudor Room at the National Portrait Gallery in London. And in the Tudor Room, you've got so many different characters who were all leaders in their own right, from Henry VIII through to, you know, Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I. You have the Explorers, you have, um, you know, Sir Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh. And looking at their picture, each each one tells a story about them. But just standing there with somebody and saying, so if Henry VIII was a leader in, in your organization, you know, what do you think would motivate him? What do you think his, his, the, the culture would be in, in the organization? And, um, you know, what, what do you think his underlying motives were? Was he in it for himself? Was he in it for everybody? And just talking about the characters in, in this way brings out this real fascination. And you can really understand the different types of leaders there, there, there are. Um, you know, Elizabeth I, wow, you know, women in power then. So it's it's a fun thing to do, but it's helping people to think about how they want to be as a leader. How do they want to be known? And and you know, one one person I work with, as we sat looking at the picture of Elizabeth first, sat there and said, "So I guess the question really is, if you know, I had a portrait, what would I want that portrait to say about me?" Which was fantastic. She didn't need a coach. <laughs> she was getting there under her own steam, but she really realised the importance of, you know, what, what does she want to stand for? Um, you know, how does she want to be known? And, and how does she want to behave with her people? Not just what does she want to do? And in some ways it gets us thinking around that brand, you know, how do we want to be seen? How do we want to be perceived? And that's something which, you know, looking back at, at, at how I introduced you um, got me thinking about this. You know, so, you know, this, the three different roles that you said, you know, you've played. So board director to entrepreneur to executive coach now. How did you find that you had to adapt your way of being and what that brand was for you between those different roles? Oh, Annabelle, gosh, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. People are, people are patient. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Well, I, no, true confession. I was probably one of the world's worst taskmasters in my early career. It was all, you know, short, slick back hair and big shoulder pads. <laughs> disciple of power women so part of my journey was learning to um, let go of the necessity of task and to understand that, that the people element of bringing people on the journey and getting them involved um, would help the task achieve itself um, so that was sort of part of part of my own journey and the other thing, you know, believing, I mean, I was actually driven by fear, as many, many people are, we're either driven by fear or desire, um, or, or desire is often called reward, but, but being driven by fear, you know, you have this fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of poverty, fear, fear of, you know, absolutely everything, but that's what drives you. 
Um, but it can drive you to excess. So you think, you know, having a certain behavioral drivers as well, um, that you must do things to the best of your ability. You know, I used to get comments uh, from my very first job when, you know, when I was 14 and, and I was waitressing, and I was told, oh, you're a really hard worker. But to me, it was, oh my God, I've, I've just got to do this. If something's, if I'm set a task, I need to achieve it. So my own journey, um, uh, learning from being a very doing orientated person to learning to be able to relax and let go and to accept and become more of a doing person to take the time out to reflect, um, to be with myself during my own personal mindfulness practices um, and gradually developing how I wanted to be in the world. I didn't want to be known as Cruella de Vil. I wanted to be known as someone who was a kind, happy person who did some good. So yes, it, 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 can, it, it can be done, but only when you take that time out to explore well, who am I and what, what's my reputation, which Hogan is based very much on reputation, which is how others see us, as opposed to our identity, which is how we see ourselves. And quite often they're completely different. <laughs> so I love that image of, um, you know, as you said, thinking about how you wanted to be seen in different roles and, you know, also that need to harness people and get them on board because that, that enables us to be more effective in what we're doing. So obviously with, with all of the challenges that, you know, I think we're seeing across the world, not just in our, in the clients that we're working with and in the organizations that we're in, um, you know, the shift in working practices that have happened over the last two or three months and obviously are going to continue to impact going forward, you know, to keep those relationships going, to enable people to be more effective and to be more authentic and true to themselves. You know, how do you see that leaders may need to be going forward? Yeah, I have this real belief that leaders need to raise their level of consciousness, um, you know, to enable considered choices when responding to challenges, as opposed to what we've seen is a lot of autopilot reactions based on entrenched patterns of thinking, feeling and behaving. So I'd say to people, do less. Um, you know, reflect on what you're doing and examine what's truly important. Um, you said earlier about busyness. I call it the, the fallacy of busyness. You know, we all think we've got to be busy just because technology is available 24-7. Um, and that, you know, there's this fallacy of immediacy um, as well. Again, just because everything is supposedly available and available now. Um, so, you know, my advice is to do less, but focus on what's important. And you can only really do that when you've given yourself some space to think. And I love the quote by um, Henry Ford, which goes along the lines of, thinking is the hardest thing of all, that's why so few people do it. Um, you know, and I also really, you know, the red arrows have evidently got a mantra, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Because if they go slowly and it's, if they go fast, it becomes very rocky mm -hmm. and then they can't actually go fast. So this is why slow is smooth and it's smooth that gets them to being fast. So yeah, at the end of the day, that. Three things that bring us peace are our 
inner state of mind, our physical health and our social relationships, you know, our connection with others, um, this, this ability to know that there is support out there. And, and we need to be peaceful to be able to make considered decisions. So mm. investing in those really helps us. I think that's, you know, to, for a message to leave us with, that gives us some some really, you know, strong things to think about, you know, as leaders, you know, when do we get that time? When are we taking that time in our in our diaries or in our working week to, or in our day, you know, if we go back to the, to the rock and seagull thing, you know, when are we taking that time out to just sit and reflect about, you know, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, you know, what do I actually need to focus on and making sure that, we have got those three, those three sections in, you know, so rather than running from meeting to meeting that we're taking care of our inner state by allowing us that space to think and reflect that we are building in that time for that physical activity, because we know that the endorphins that releases improves our thinking, improves our way of being, makes us feel much better, but actually also that time to come together and, and actually be with people, whether it be on zoom or remotely, or, or whether it be face-to-face, because that enables that sense of well-being. So look, Preeta, thank you for today. And thank you for, you know, a really fascinating insight into thinking about, you know, how we can look at our roles in a different way, think about the archetype that we want to be, think about how we want to show up um, and the impact that we want to have. And also that, that reminder about having to step back um, and take time out for us. You've been listening to Annabelle Graham from Successful Training and Preeta Cooley from DeNova Performance. Join us next month for more dialogues on the themes of being and doing. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader.